0: Welcome to our Wednesday night service. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 18 and 19 this evening. We're going to get to that in a moment. Um, I want to talk a little bit before we go. Well, if anybody needs a Bible, Richard's up. he would love to bring your Bible so you can follow along with us. I want to talk a little bit before we get into Joshua 18 about how things are really heating up. In the Middle East, and maybe you've been following it, maybe you haven't been following it. I've kind of been following it with the with the use of a serious use of chemical weapons, and the innocent men and women and children that have been killed in this latest attack. It's just been a, an absolutely horrible thing. I read that the World Health Organization said today that there were reports of about 500 people in Damascus suburb of Douma who have symptoms similar to people exposed to toxic chemicals. It said about 70 people had died while taking shelter in basements, and 43 of them had signs of being exposed to highly toxic chemicals. I don't think the world is going to stand by and, and let this happen. I, I really don't. Uh, we know that Israel did not. Uh, almost immediately afterwards, they fired eight guided missiles on the, on the T-4 airfield in Syria, where the same place where the chemical weapons were loaded up into a plane and, and, and take, sent out from. And they hit a part of that airfield, and maybe you saw this maybe then, didn't, where several Iranian advisors and servicemen were meeting. No Russians were killed. This was pinpointed right where the Iranians were. And the threat, obviously, is from Iran and, and what's going on in there, especially towards Israel. And, and uh, you know, Israel, they've neither confirmed or denied the attack. Yeah, that's Israel. We're not going to confirm or deny we're gonna, We don't have to tell you whether we did or we didn't do it. Okay? We're just going to do what we're going to do to, you know, keep our our nation safe. Um, There's no doubt of the Iranian presence there in Syria, uh, mixed with the support of Russia and uh, uh, backing Assad. Um, And unless something radical happens, this is going to continue to happen. Now, Israel obviously made the first strike because they have the most to lose, being right there on the border. And, And Iran wants to get into that position, in Syria, to wipe Israel off the face of the map. That's always been their goal. Can't forget that. That's always been their goal. Iran wants to destroy Israel. So Israel must act. Now, we know that the Russians, uh, the Russian government also threatened to engage in any warship firing on Syria. Anybody that that wants to fire into Syria, you're going to have to answer to us. We're going to shoot your missiles down. I don't know if you caught what President Trump said today in a tweet. Russia vows to shoot down any and all missiles fired at Syria. Get ready, Russia, because they will be coming. Nice and new and smart. You shouldn't be partners with a gas-killing animal who kills his people and enjoys it. <laughs> He's not messing words, is he? <laughs> nice and new and smart. According to Fox News this afternoon, they reported that we, the United States have a guided missile destroyer off the coast of Syria right now. It's the USS Donald Cook. has roughly 75 Tomahawk missiles on board, 20 surface-to-air missiles. In the event that Russia warplanes attempt to challenge it, we can just shoot them down, the French have stepped up with their own naval ship, and it's in position with, with a 16 cruise missiles on it. One of the first phone calls President Trump made after the chemical attack was to the French president there, and and so we really do have them as as an ally in this situation. Fox News also reporting that according to ImageSat International, there are 11 Russian warships based in Tardis Port, Syria, that have now been pushed out into sea earlier this afternoon. That would be about four hours ago, five hours ago. General Maddox has said that we are more more than ready to move militarily at moment's notice uh, from the president. Now, Oliver North, I saw an interview with him. He said that you can count on the fact that the United States is getting prepared to do something big. You know, they're just not going to come in right away and do something. They, they are preparing, they're getting ships in, in line and everything like that. And all that to say, man, we need to be praying. We need to be praying for our president. We need to be praying for the leadership in our country. We need to be praying for our newly appointed national security advisor, John Bolton. I like that guy, listening to him talking, you know, he's got a good head on his shoulder. But I think in all of this, we also have to remember Scripture, what the Bible says. We're told in Isaiah 17, 1, that that there will be the destruction of Damascus to a ruinous heap unlivable. No humans could live there. Now, we know Damascus' strategic alignment with Iran means also that they, along with Iran, fund the terrorist group, the Hezbollah. So the Hezbollah are there. I mean, Damascus is just 150 miles from Jerusalem. We don't realize this, you know, in our mind we think we think it's, it's you know all 500, 600 miles away. 150 miles, it's nothing. They're way, uh, you know, the, the Hezbollah Iran well funded. The Hezbollah is well funded by Iran. Uh, Damascus has got a nest of hating terrorists, Israeli hating, hating terrorists waiting to obliterate Israel and is home to the most advanced bio- and chemical weapons facility in the Middle East, all there in Damascus. So it really wouldn't take much for Israel or, or the U.S. to strike a place in or near Damascus that would make the whole uh, uh, area uninhabitable, totally destroyed. I don't think we've ever been this close to something like the total dis- destruction of Damascus as we are right now. I, I mean, things that seem to be lining up. However, let me make something perfectly clear. Even though God tells us many, about many future events in the last days, he seldom really gives the, 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 the whole picture, the, the little details about the events leading up into those events. So as we see things forming, we go, man, this looks like it could lead up to this. But, but God doesn't really say that. He doesn't say, well, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going And then it's going to happen. We don't know. All we know is that we see the events you know, happening around that. And, and, and even though the chaos around Israel today may result in the eventual destruction of Damascus, even though it looks like it, there is no way we can actually make that claim you know, unless it happens. Once it happens, then we can say, well, look, you know, this is what was happening. We, we saw it was happening, and, and, and we look back on history to see how it developed. We'll know for sure what scenario led up to its fulfillment. And yet with that said... It's not difficult to see how what is happening in Syria and Iraq today could lead to the destruction of Damascus. So we need to keep praying and looking up. We need to know our Bible, know that the time is short. And so with that, as we get into Joshua chapters 18 and 19, let's have a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love, your grace. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises found in your word, Lord, that you've not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Lord, we look at these things going on in Israel and surrounding Israel and Syria. We look at the, the threat of all-out war. Uh, we're on the verge, Lord, and that could happen. And so we pray right now for our country. We pray for our leadership. We pray for President Trump, that you would give him wisdom from, his, from, from you, Lord, from the advisors around him in making the right decisions to protect our country, to protect the people, the innocent people and children there in Syria, to do what is right, Lord. We pray that you'd give uh, the leadership around our president wisdom as well. Lord, bring men and, and women, those that love you, Lord, those that know your word, to be advisors to our president, to make wise decisions, decisions, Lord, that would honor you and glorify you. Give them wisdom, we pray. We pray for protection upon our military, Lord. As these things begin to happen, those we love that are in the military, Lord, protect them. Keep them safe. Lord, we uh, just pray, Lord, that your will be done. And we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, Lord, as your word tells us to. And now, Lord, we pray for our our study tonight in your word as we look to the uh, book of Joshua and, and, and the land there in Israel and uh, allocation of the land, Lord. And we just see your hand from beginning to the end of your nation, Israel. And we pray, Lord, Just as we look to your word, you give us not only information, but application in our lives that draws closer to you. So we commit our time to you, Lord, ask that you would bless it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, Joshua chapter 18 and 19 this evening. We're once again in a section of scripture where there's a lot of allocation going on. Along with a lot of names that I will not even try to pronounce this evening, so we're going to skip over some of the verses but we will be able to get chapters 18 and 19 done tonight. Let's start with verses 1 through 3. We read Now the whole congregation of Israel, of the children of Israel, assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there. And the land was subdued before them, but there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord your God of your fathers has given you? Listen, quitting. Is easy. Anybody can say the hill is too high, the the the, the you know the, the race is too long, or anybody can say I'm tired, I'm bored with this, I want to do something else, or I don't want to do anything else. But the lesson of Joshua chapter eighteen and nineteen and really on into, into twenty is don't stop halfway, don't quit, finish the race, complete the course. See, so far in our study, we have noticed that most of the Israelite boundaries and territories have been conquered. Most of Canaan had been allocated. But seven tribes were still without a home and apparently were content to stay that way. And so their procrastination provokes Joshua kind of to let them have it. To tell them, hey, don't quit until they lay hold of all that God has for them. And he encourages them to go out and lay hold of what is actually theirs. He says, how long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? How long you are you not, you're not going to go in there? You need to get up and go. Now what is interesting about this whole section of scripture is in context, it was their responsibility to initiate the desire to go out and possess their land, to possess their possessions. In other words, no one was going to do it for them. They had to get up and go do it for themselves. How does this apply to us this this evening? Well, perhaps God has so much more for you, but you've decided the hill is too high, or you really don't want to change anything, or maybe you're at the place where you want to do something else other than what God has for you. And and the problem is maybe that, that, that you haven't taken the time to do what God's called you to do in the first place. This is what Joshua is dealing with with the Israelites. He says, guys, listen, there's so much more that God wants to do with you and for you, but as long as you continue just to sit back and do nothing, you're never going to experience all that God has for you. Sometimes I wonder if we really realize all that God has for us, the incredible things that God has for us as believers. And what God wants to do in our lives. Paul writes in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I mean, to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that that works in us. Man, it's all there. God's ready to do great things in us. But many times, we don't even bother to ask. And, and, and when we, But when we do, God is able to do way beyond what we could ever imagine. We have such a great wealth of amazing resources at our hands through Jesus Christ. And He desires to do so much more in our lives that so often we just don't take advantage of it. And that can stifle all that God has for you in your life. Because you can't go any further in your maturity with the Lord until you step up and do what God is calling you to do in the first place. Now back when my kids were young, five, six years old, their only responsibility, they didn't have many, was keep their room clean, make sure their toys are put away, but the rest of the time, man, it's play hard, have fun, climb trees, ride bikes, play baseball, watch cartoons. Man, I long for those days. (laughs) It was great as a kid. Not a whole lot of responsibilities. You know, at five or six-year-olds, you're not, you're not really concerned about paying bills or tuning up cars or, or getting to work on, on time. It's just the responsibility of staying out of mom's hair and playing hard. But all that changes when you become an adult. You have all those responsibilities I just mentioned. And these responsibilities, though at times they may seem almost overwhelming, they match our maturity as we grow in the Lord, as they are supposed to. And the same thing is true for Christians. As you continue to grow in the knowledge and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, he continues to mature you. And there may be someone like a Joshua who comes to you and says, Hey, what about your responsibility, your responsibility to, to a church body or, or to some type of ministry where, we, where you can really see yourself grow, where you can really set your feet down and be involved in a, in a responsible role? Why don't you step out and, and give that a shot? So that's what Joshua is doing for the Israelites. He says, How long will you guys keep looking at this promise, and that's yours, and still not take possession of it. In the same way, we we're also encouraged to have this attitude with other believers. What do I mean by that? Well, Hebrews 10:24 tells us, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That's what Joshua's really doing. Let us, body believers, consider one another, think about one another, in order to stir up in them love. And good works. In other words, God may be calling you to, to a place this week, one like Joshua, where you see somebody who, who really has not been responsible with the things of God that they have been given, and they're not using the gifts that God has given to them, but you know that God has so much more for them, and so you encourage them. You want to bless them and consider them to, to stir them of love and good works. And then hopefully they will begin to see the responsibility involved in their maturity that you've encouraged them to grow, and, and they're encouraged, and they step out. They get, get involved. Listen, when we were up here on Sunday morning, even once a night, you know, children's ministry downstairs, teachers are, are teaching our kids. Teachers that say, you know, what, I, I, want, I want to bless the body of Christ. I want to take my responsibility and I want to take it seriously. And I want to do everything I can to, to, to you know, to, to, to minister in, in the church. I want to be just as committed, you know, to paying my bills and, and, and maintaining my home, even so more at church because I'm serving the Lord in, in, in a greater capacity. Well, you've said, man, I know Jesus Christ and he's placed this message in my heart. Now I'm ready to give it to others. See, because there will always be need for, a need for Sunday school teachers. And, and that's one way as you step out in that responsibility, you become mature in that responsibility. And you become blessed as well. Uh, you know, I may be preaching to the choir, but I don't know of anyone who after committing to minister to children aren't more blessed than they ever thought would have been possible. Pastor Chuck Smith used to say, if you can teach kids, you can teach adults. And some of these kids' questions, uh, I mean, you just go, where did you come up with that? Yeah, go ask your mom and dad, you know. <laughs> See, my point is God hasn't just blessed you in order to keep everything in. God hasn't blessed you just to, to just sit back and go, oh, Lord, thanks, you know, for the blessing. No, he, he wants you to go out and pour out your love and go work into someone else's life and be able to share it. I mean, that's the ultimate purpose for Jesus Christ, being in all our lives, so we can minister and share the love of Jesus Christ. So Joshua is encouraging them to get up and go possess what's what's theirs to begin with. We'll pick it up in verse 4 now to verse 10. He says, Pick out from among you three men for each tribe, and I will send them. They shall rise and go through the land, survey it according to their inheritance, and come back to me. And they shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall remain in their territory on the south, and the house of Joseph shall remain in their territory on the north. You shall therefore survey the land in seven parts and bring the survey here to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. But the Levites have no part among you, for the priest of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan on the east, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. We looked at that last time together. Verse 8. Then the men arose to go away, and Joshua charged those who went to survey the land, saying, Go, walk through the land, survey it, and come back to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went cast through the land, and wrote the survey in a book in seven parts by cities. And they came to Joshua at the camp in Shiloh. Then Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord, and there Joshua divided the land to the children of Israel according to their divisions. Now there's something interesting that's going on here that we need to take note of. Joshua chooses 21 men, three men from each of the seven remaining tribes that hadn't yet taken possession uh, of their land. And he instructs these men to go out and survey the land, map it out, and then come back to him and then they'll cast lots to see who gets what. But what is interesting about this is, where did these three men from each remaining tribe, or these 21 men, learn how to survey the land? Where did they learn this? The ancient historian Josephus reports that these men were, among other things, experts, experts in geometry. Geometry actually means earth plus measure. Josephus also records that the men were to record the amount of fruitfulness of the land. One acre of very fruitful, fruitful, fruitful soil could be equivalent to a thousand acres of rocky wasteland. So one of the criteria of dividing the land was how fruitful each, one, each area was. So they were experts in geology. They were experts in agriculture. They were experts in geometry. Where would they learn all these skills? Well, I would pose the possibility that these men learned how to survey the land back when they were boys, back in the schools of Egypt before they left in the Exodus. Here's my point. God doesn't waste anything that you do. Who knows why you took Algebra 2 in high school? But maybe, maybe on some mission trip, God knows you might need to use Algebra 2. I don't know. Or why you took that computer class in college. Maybe God wants you to use it to help some ministry set up a webpage. Or why you took some other class that God may use in some ministry that you're not even aware of right now. Or something else you learned you know a long time ago. You know, ah, that seemed like a waste. It might be seven years from now after conquering the land or it might be 40 years from now after wandering through the wilderness. But God will use that information that is stored in you for the glory of His kingdom. And we see that throughout scriptures. You see, God may use you in all kinds of ways, but I guarantee you, He will tap into the resources in you, and someday He will use it. Let's look at verse 11. It says, Now the lot of the tribe of the children of Benjamin came up according to their families, and the territory of their lot came out between the children of Judah and the children of Joseph. Then in verse 12, all the way down to verse 28, there are specific boundaries, borders that are laid out for the tribe of... Uh, Benjamin, and as we looked at last time, this is a lot like reading the lot descriptions in the Green County webpage. A not very exciting read. In fact, if you have a hard time sleeping tonight, you can go through for yourself and you can read them and, and it might help you out a little. With that said, Genesis chapter 49, you don't need to turn there, but it speaks of the blessings that Jacob gave to his twelve sons that constitute the twelve tribes. And they really coincide with the land divided up and how they how that would be. Moses in Deuteronomy 33 does the same thing, but but from verse 12 of chapter 18 all the way to verse 48 of chapter 19, we're given the borders of each tribe. Now, I posted a picture on the screen, or I'll have Jacob on the screen, to help see the different areas. And and here's a picture of what's described here. and It turned out pretty good. I scanned that from a book and then sent it over here and cropped it in, but anyway... You get a layout of where each area is so in your mind you can picture where all that is is. So in verse 12 it says that the tribe of Benjamin that their border on the north side began at the Jordan and the border went up to the side of Jericho on the north and went up through the mountains westward and it ended at the wilderness of Beth Aven. And so you kind of see where where it says Benjamin up there. And now Jacob or Israel after God changed his name said in Genesis forty nine twenty seven, Benjamin shall shall Raven as a wolf, in the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. And if you were to jump ahead in the book of Judges chapter 19, you'll see that those tribes of Benjamin did some horrible, horrible things. It kind of goes in line with what Israel said in Genesis 49. And they were judged for it. In fact, in Judges chapter 20, only 600 men of the tribe of Benjamin were left. The whole tribe. Now there, there was, however, an era of redemption even in the prophecy of Moses about Benjamin. Moses seemed to see that sometime in the future, there might be some redemption for them because in Deuteronomy chapter 33, just before Israel's about to enter into the land of Canaan, Moses gave this prophecy in Deuteronomy 33:12. He says, of Benjamin, he said, "...the beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him." who shelters him all day long, and he shall dwell between his shoulders. So kind of a a switch of prophecy. And sure enough, if you notice in verse 28, what cities included in Benjamin's allotment? Jerusalem. But more than that, what was built in Jerusalem? The house of God. The the temple of the Lord. So from the tribe of Benjamin and the land allotted to them here in Joshua 18, the temple would be built. So we see that there's some redemption, a hint of redemption by Moses in Deuteronomy 33, 12, showing that showing said, even the most evil person can be redeemed if they just turn from their sin and turn to the living God. Well, verse 1 of chapter 19 gives us the second lot, the second allotment. Look at verse 1. The second lot came out for Simeon, for the tribe of the children of Simeon, according to their families, and their inheritance was within the inheritance of the children of Judah. Now this also is important to see because as we just look backward in in Genesis 49, we know that Levi and Simeon were two brothers that disobeyed God. If you remember how when Dinah, their sister, was raped by Shechem, it was Simeon and Levi who had the plan that would result in the destruction of the whole people of Shechem. They took revenge on the whole town. Now they shouldn't have done that, of course, and Jacob reminds them of this, and their disobedience led them to a curse rather than a blessing from Jacob. Listen to Genesis 49, verse 5 through 7. Speaking of Simeon and Levi, he says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And now... Here in in, uh, in Joshua 19, as the tribes of Simeon received their allotment, their actual allotment was within the area and land of another tribe. Scattered them within another tribe. I I mean, wouldn't that be a bummer to you? It would be for me. Instead of getting your own land, you're placed in a subdivision. You know, okay, everybody get this whole land. You get the subdivision over here to the left. Yeah. But but that's what was proph- prophesied. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. It's also interesting to note that in 2 Chronicles 15, that it says that they got so bummed out within the territory of Judah that they actually moved north. And, and, and as they moved there, they find themselves going through trial after trial after trial, never really possessing any land at all. Now, although Simeon and Levi both cursed at the same time in Genesis 49... Levi, on the other hand, hand, finds himself with an inheritance. You see, although Simeon sinned with Levi and finds himself being swallowed up in a land that's not their own, Levi finds himself receiving an inheritance that the Scripture says is of the Lord. Because the Lord says, of the curse, Levi, you'll not receive a territorial land, but you'll receive me as an inheritance. And so God, in a sense, blesses the curse of Jacob. He reverses the curse of Jacob. and puts Levi in a privileged position. But Simeon, he says, you're going to stay in a sad position. Now you may ask, well, why? That doesn't seem fair. They, they both did bad stuff. Well, this goes back to Exodus chapter 32. You can jot that down. Remember when Moses was up on the hill and, and, and he was, you know, gone for a while and then the people got tired of waiting for him, so they decided to make this golden calf. Moses comes back down from the mountain. He's got a couple of tablets in his hands and his arms. He gets ticked off and he throws the tablets down and he asks his brother Aaron, what's going on? To Which Aaron so brightly described I don't know, We just had some gold, we threw it in the fire, and out came this cap and we started worshiping it. Well, it's at that point that there in Exodus thirty-four, Moses, or thirty-two, rather, Moses says, Stand up, those that want to serve the Lord, come over to my side to me, strap up a sword upon your side and go out and kill all of your disobedient relatives. Well, who was the tribe that that jumped up and came to Moses' side? It was the tribe of Levi, Levi's tribe. Now, although they were cursed, and although they weren't promised a promised land, they knew that they could repent and God would have the power to reverse the curse. Simeon, on the other hand, never did anything right. In fact, they continued to be in rebellion against God and that's why the curse was never reversed for Simeon. But here's my point with the tribe of Benjamin and now with the tribe of Levi. It doesn't matter what sin you've done in the past doesn't matter if you feel like you are under a curse. God can reverse a curse and bless your land as you repent of your wicked ways and begin to step out and serve Him wholeheartedly. Possess your possessions. And unfortunately, you know, that might mean the separation of those who are not willing to serve with you in an effort to see God glorified. See, Moses says, okay, you Levites, strap on your sword and go kill those relatives of yours that are disobedient to God. And the Levites followed. They obeyed the command of God. They continued to be obedient, even though they knew that it would cost a relationship with those that that at one time they considered their loved ones. Why? Because God became their priority. Listen, in the Gospels, Jesus is our priority. And when it comes to our relationships with our family members, Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword to, to many times divide daughter from mother, son from father. And that can take place. You know, you come home and you tell mom or dad or a cousin or, or a friend, and you say, you know, I decided to put Jesus Christ first in my life. And what's usually the response from, from unbelieving family? Hold on a second, young man. You know, we've always believed, we're always a part of this particular denomination, and that was your father was, and your father's father, and your father's father's father was, and now and you, well, you're doing something weird, and... Mama, just I just gave my life to Jesus Christ. That's all I did. Yeah, we want you to do this though. You know, we want to. We're not into the Jesus stuff. And at that point, maybe there was a division that took place in your heart. And although you love mom and dad with all your heart, although you care about your loved ones dearly, that division begins to be evident because you've made that commitment to serve the Lord while your relatives have not. One more thing we can learn from Simeon and his inheritance, and the fact that they were swallowed up in the land of Judah. It's important that as we struggle with sin that we recognize at any point that that instead of doing what Simeon did and keep struggling, keep going on and on we we can come to the Lord anytime confess our sins knowing he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness I believe had Simeon done that they would have not found themselves hanging around in a land that wasn't theirs and, and eventually just you know, going off into no man's land Well, we move a little further verse 10, the third lot Came out for the children of Zebulun according to their families, and the border of their inheritance was as far as Saria. Now, what's interesting about Zebulun is that the portion, their portion, is in Lower Galilee, which is in Nazareth, was to be a part of that. But it's also linked to Naphtali, which you'll see in a minute has, has some significance. Drop down down to verse, to the fourth tribe now in verse 17. The fourth lot came out of Issachar for the children of Issachar according to their families. Now. Issachar was the region south of the Sea of Galilee where there is a magnificent valley called the Valley of Jezreel, more commonly known as the Valley of Megiddo. So this is the, 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 where the final battle is going to be fought, the, the Battle of Armageddon, that's there in that Valley of Megiddo. Napoleon once said, if there was ever a place for the final battle of the world to be fought, here is the place. Without any Bible knowledge, Napoleon prophesied a true statement. So that lends that up there. Now, now move a little further. Look at verse 24. The fifth lot came out for the tribe of the children of Asher according to their families. And then it lists a whole lot of names. Now Asher was assigned the Mediterranean coastal lands that would stretch clear into modern day Lebanon. And from her position, she was responsible for protection of Israel from the, the northern enemies. Certainly we see you know, the northern place of Israel right now and, and, and Lebanon right there and the problems they're having in that position right there. But what's interesting also is the Bible says that Anna, the prophetess, came from Asher in Luke chapter 2, 36 through 38. If you remember, she was the woman, she was 80 years old and she hung out in the sanctuary serving the Lord, waiting to see the child Jesus. And when she did, it says there in in Luke 2, 36 that she spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Now, I don't know how long from then on was at 80 years old. But she spent the remainder of her life, you know, whatever time she had left, pointing people to Jesus Christ. I mean, how great to be known for that and, and, and our name going down in God's word for all to see his glory. So she was from Asher, that area up there. Drop down to verse 32. The sixth lot came out to the children of Naphtali, for the children of Naphtali, according to their families. Now, Naphtali is the area of Galilee. Over in Isaiah 9, verse 1 through 3, there's an interesting side note about the land of Naphtali. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. I mean, you can turn there if you want to, but I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. <clears throat> Isaiah 9, verse 1 through 3. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will, go, will not go on forever. The land of Zebulon and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as the people rejoice at the harvest, and like warriors dividing the plunder. Yes, Naphtali would continue to be a place where brutal battles were to be fought, and because of the notoriety of that, Naphtali became known as the land of doom, or the land of darkness and despair. Where are you from? The land of doom and darkness and despair. Great city to be a part of. But God saw fit to allow it to be the very place, the very piece of property there in Galilee where Jesus Christ would walk on, that he would do his ministry in. So although Isaiah 9-2 says that it was a land that was filled with darkness and despair, that's also a land that was filled with Jesus Christ. The great light appeared and walked and did his ministry there. Again, it's a blessing to see, once again, how God can take a curse and turn it into a blessing. Now, drop down to verse 40 in the 7th division. Verse 40 says, The seventh lot came out of the tribe of the children of Dan, according to their families. Now, Dan's a pretty bad bad tribe. Uh, This includes the southern part of what is Israel today. They found themselves, according to the book of Judges, the tribe of Dan, they were having a difficult time with their allotments. Although their allotment was in the southern region, there were still some Amorites in their land. And they found themselves struggling at war with the Amorites. And because of that, the majority of, of the tribe moved to the far north opposite of Napoli. But we see that, they, that God provided for the needs of each tribe. Now, though in some cases the, the part of their inheritance was still in the hand of the enemies. The Israelites, where well, they were to possess by faith and to trust God to defeat those foes. But the tribe of Dan that we're just reading about now, that was the first tribe to actually turn their back on God and fell into idolatry and apparently remained in that awful condition for centuries. In fact, the, the apostate king Jeroboam set up his golden calf in the areas of the tribe of Dan. See, they failed to possess by faith all the blessings that God had, that God had for them. And because of that, that meant poverty and weakness and and, and things that God did not plan for His people. Same thing is true for us. God has so many blessings for us, but when we choose to turn our backs on God to live in the flesh, we're going to face the consequences of that. But that's not God's plan for us. Now, we know Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2 tells us that the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor is ear heavy, that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from me so that he will not hear. But that's not God's desire. God's desire, according to Psalm 81, verse 13 through 16, all oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways, I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him, but their fate would endure forever. He would have fed them also with the finest of wheat, and with the honey from the rock I would have satisfied you. If only they would have turned to the Lord. Those tribes would not have suffered in the things they suffered. The Same thing is true for us as believers. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 reads, But it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Next we come to look at verse 49. When they had made an end of dividing the land as an inheritance according to their borders, the children of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun, According to the word of the Lord, they gave him the city which he asked for, Tim Naserah in the mountains of Ephraim, and he built the city and dwelt in it. These were the inheritances which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel divided as an inheritance by Lot and Shallow before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So they made an end of dividing the country. So when all the dividing was said and done. Now it's time for Joshua. I really just see Joshua's servant's heart that had never stopped, never departed from him. I mean, he was the greatest and boldest among them, the one who led Israel to conquest the land of Canaan. And instead of seeking his own portion, he waited until everybody else had theirs. He he didn't seek to put his private desires above uh, those of Israel. Yeah, Joshua received all his promised to him by God, but in remarkable humility, he received his portion last. He wipes until the land is completely divided, and then he takes his portion. And the area he takes is in Ephraim, a rugged area that needed a lot, a lot of work. It says, so they gave him, Joshua, Tim, Tim and error, to dwell in the mountains of Ephraim. See, he didn't use his position to take, oh, I, man, I want to, be on, on, I want to be on the sea, I want to be here, I want to be there. He didn't use it to take advantage, although from a purely secular viewpoint, he could have. You know, the world encourages its leaders to, to lord over its servants, where God encourages servants, to be, encourages servants to be servants of all, no matter our position. This is the kind of humble service and concern for others that makes Joshua such a wonderful picture of Jesus Christ. We see the picture uh, of Jesus in, in Joshua. Jesus came and he dwelt among us. He didn't live in castles and, and mansions, but Scripture says he had no place to lay his head. He became a servant to the end. Finally, look at verse 51. It says, So they made an end of dividing the country. What can we walk away with this tonight? Well, we saw that each tribe had its place in the promised land. Each place was different. Each tribe was responsible to conquer their own land. And we all have a a place, even if you don't know it yet. Once you've decided that you belong to God's people, once you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, God puts you in, in in a body of believers where he can use you. And as Joshua said to the tribes, how long, guys, will you just keep looking at this promised land that is yours and yet still not take possession of it? As I said, there may come a time as you continue to grow in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and He continues to mature you that there might be someone like a Josh who comes up to you and says, what about your responsibility? Hey, how would you like to maybe get involved in this? Why don't you maybe step out and get involved over here? How are we going to respond? I encourage you, don't wait. Conquer your territory. Find that ministry that, that you can serve it and do it with all your heart. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this night tonight. Thank you for your word. and, Lord, the things that we can glean from it, the things that we can learn from the life of Joshua. Lord, just a servant of all, waiting to the very end to say, okay, Lord, I'll take what you've given to me and being thankful for that. But also, Lord, to see these tribes and to see these, 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 these men, Lord, that, 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 the ones that, that stood up for you, Lord, and you've blessed them, the ones that repented, Lord, and you've blessed them. And the ones that continue to go down that path of, of idolatry and sin, Lord, they, 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 they were miserable, horrible in the places where they were at. Never satisfied. Lord, we pray that you'd help us, each one of us as believers, to step out. Maybe of that place of comfortableness. Maybe move into that place of uncomfortableness. Maybe a, a ministry or, or some area, Lord, where you're, you're calling us to be a part of. Maybe it's a step out and just sharing our faith with our neighbor. Or maybe it's just a step out and, and mowing our neighbor's lawn. Whatever it is, Lord, that you're, you're calling us to maybe take a step out to do more than what we're doing. Help us to be sensitive to the leading of your Holy Spirit, obedient to you, in which we can glorify you in all that we say and all that we do. Thank you for tonight, Lord. We do pray again for wisdom for our, our leadership and our country. We pray for the peace of Israel. We pray for the men and women in Syria and the children that are being attacked and harmed. Your protection upon them, Lord God. Healing upon those that are even now struggling to take their next breath. We pray for the church that's there, Lord. The men and women that have stood up in that area of Syria, Lord, that that can be used by you, Lord. Help them, protect them. Minister through them, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.